If you want to get something done, I think most of us understand that you're going to have to be intentional. Right, for instance, if you in this new year, 2021, are thinking about maybe getting into a little bit of shape, eating better, losing a few pounds, hitting the gym more, you are going to have to be intentional or it will not happen. You're going to have to be committed to getting up maybe at 5 in the morning or, or putting it on the schedule at 6 at night, but, but you're going to have to be intentional if you're going to work out. You're going to need health here. You're going to have to be intentional about meal planning and meal prepping. You, you can't just wing it because when we wing it, what do we often do? We don't eat as healthy as we should. You're going to have to be intentional. If you want to work on your marriage, if you want to improve things in your marriage, you're going to have to be intentional. You're going to have to plan date nights and times to communicate and talk, or it won't get better. I've counseled enough couples. How's it going? Not any better. Have you done these things? No. You have to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. If you want to improve something at work, you want to learn a new skill, a language, something, a better relationship with your kids, better things at school, you have to be intentional. It's not just going to happen. The same is true when it comes to your walk of faith. If you want to know more about the love of Jesus, if you want to get into your Bible more, all of us could say when the clock strikes midnight at 2021, oh, I want to be in God's word more, but if you're not intentional, it won't happen. And maybe you start out really well at first, but life gets in the way and you slowly drift. And before you know it, you're not in the word like you said you were going to be because you have to be intentional. That's why I'm really excited about this new sermon series, because we're going to be, over the next seven weeks, intentional. Like, this sermon series has kind of been rattling around my mind, not just for the last couple of weeks or even months, but for years. Because this concept of, of us living life together is, is all over the place in Scripture. And so if we're going to actually be the kind of church that God calls us to be, if we're going to actually be teammates and partners and live life together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are going to have to be intentional. And so today, we're going to start that journey and looking at different ways that God has called us to live life together. And we're going to do that by looking at the early Christian church we're going to see what they did, how they lived life, how they followed the commands of Jesus, and how Jesus wants us to do the same thing. So you ready? Let's open with a quick prayer. Father, we ask that you bless us in our worship today. We ask that the meditation of our hearts, the words of my mouth, that the gospel that is proclaimed, that it's pleasing in your sight, and that it's used to strengthen our faith in you to strengthen our bond with one another as brothers and sisters in your family, and also to empower and equip us to go from here and to share you with others. We pray all this, Jesus, and ask for your help today because we so desperately need it. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I would say that it is one of his best tools. If you know anything about him, it's probably one of his best tools. And it's not just one of his best tools, it's one of his most deadly. 
it's something that when he is, is on his A game, it leads people to a whole bunch of really bad places. It's a weapon he uses against us that, that leads people to despair. It leads people to depression. It leads people down a path of anxiety where they're worried about everything and anything all the time. It leads people to even, sadly, end their own lives. So what am I talking about? It's something and someone that doesn't care if you're young or old. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. It's not at all concerned about whether you're black or white or brown or some other shade and pigment of skin color. It doesn't care. It's not concerned at all with what political affiliations you have or which church you go to. In fact, if you read the most recent statistics on this, a lot of the experts say we're kind of an epidemic with this in our society because it affects millions and millions and millions of Americans alone, not counting the seven and a half billion people on the planet. What am I talking about? I'm talking about isolation and loneliness. In fact, some of the most recent statistics say that, that 54% of just Americans, again, we're not talking about the globe, we're just talking about our country, have struggled with isolation issues and feeling alone. And do you know the two biggest groups it affects? It's out of control among our young people, our teens, and then the 65 plus. But, again, remember it doesn't care how old you are, what your age is either, it affects people even in between. And I say that it's one of the greatest tools and deadliest tools because Satan is going to use it against you. And even if you're sitting here this morning saying, well, I don't feel alone, I bet my life savings that you know somebody that does. I'll give you all of my possessions if you don't because I guarantee you, you know somebody who has or is struggling with feeling alone. Maybe you work with them. Maybe you go to school with them. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe they're sitting next to you today. Because it's a huge problem. And you know who loves it? The devil. It's one of his best and damning tactics. Right? What does he want to do more than anything else? He wants to divide and conquer. He wants to separate husbands and wives. He wants to separate parents and kids. He wants to separate you and your coworkers or classmates. And he certainly, more than anything else, wants to separate you from each other. He wants you fighting. He wants you not agreeing. He wants you bickering. He wants you being selfish. Because when we're too busy doing that, what are we not doing? We're not telling people about Jesus. And Satan is like, yes. And so that's what he wants. He wants to wreak havoc in your lives. He wants to isolate you and get you all alone. 
and this is how deadly and damning he is, right? If you're caught up and struggling in a sin, you name the sin. Maybe it's some sort of addiction. Maybe it's your anger. Maybe it's your pride. Maybe it's your selfishness. He wants you to keep it to yourself. He doesn't want you talking to anybody about it. He wants you to stay isolated and alone because that is where he has you in his grasp. See the devil? He wants you to not just feel, but to think and actually believe that you are all alone. But you have to know this truth, friends. It's a lie. That's a damnable lie from hell itself because it's not true. That's not what God intends for you in your life. And it's all over scripture, right? We can think of all the way back in Genesis, right? It's not good for man to be alone. So I'm going to give husband and wife. I'm going to give family units. I'm going to give people each other so they don't have to be alone. But God doesn't just stop there. Because he knows you're going to need more than even just a spouse or a few kids And so throughout Scripture, and especially once he gets into the New Testament and the New Testament church, that's us, he gives us each other. And the New Testament church, before Jesus goes back into heaven, he gives them their mission, he gives them their purpose, and they take Jesus' words to heart. And they do it. They gather together around the word. They get together on new, more, than, more than one occasion. It's not just a church thing. It's a lifestyle thing. When they see people in need, especially the brothers and sisters, they're ready to move heaven and earth to help them. In other words, they lived life together. And so in this sermon series that we're starting today, that's what we're going to talk about. And we're starting today with, I don't want to say it's the most important one, but I do think that if we don't get this one right, all the other ones are going to suffer, and it's going to limp a little bit. And so we're going to talk about how God calls us to live life together as we gather specifically around his word. And so we're going to take a look at a section of God's word. It's from Acts chapter 2, and real quick, some background. Acts chapter 1 is what's known as the ascension. So the day Jesus said, I'm done with my work here, I'm going home, and I'm going to keep working for you and with you and through you, but I'm going back to sit at the right hand of my Father. And so Jesus leaves. Acts chapter 2, the beginning. If you remember the flames of fire a day called Pentecost where the disciples were speaking the gospel in different languages. And Peter gets up and gives this rousing sermon about Jesus who lived and died and lives again for us. And and how many people, do you remember how many people came to faith? How many baptisms, how many people stood and were confirmed in their faith that day? Do you remember? 3,000 plus. Can you imagine seeing that in person? Witnessing that? Crazy, crazy. Now those 3,000 plus people, immediately after that, were told what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord, he added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if you come, and I'm going to encourage you, please come every week, chime in online every week. I'm going to come back to this section because it has all the components of living life together. Right? Gathering around the word, um, uh, helping each other out, living life together, sharing meals, hanging out, doing all those things, telling people about Jesus, it's all there. But for today's purposes, I want to zero in on one specific verse. Verse 42. Let me reread it one more time for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, some of you folks who have been around church for a while probably know exactly what that means, right? <laughs> but maybe for those of you who are, who are new to church or Christianity, let me explain. The apostles were guys who saw Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They, they spent three whole years in intensive seminary courses with the Savior himself hearing about everything God had said, hearing about everything God had said through the prophets and how Jesus was the fulfillment of all that and how he was their savior. And then at the end of that three-year period, after seeing the blind get their sight, the deaf hear again, the dead come alive again, they watched as Jesus, their teacher and their friend, was crucified and died. And then they saw the most amazing thing ever. They saw there was an empty tomb, and they actually physically saw Jesus alive. And many of them, not just once, not just a couple times, they, numerous times, and hundreds of people saw this. And so the apostles, those were those guys. And so what was their teaching? Their teaching was that Jesus is the Savior. He died for you. You are forgiven and saved because of Christ Jesus. And so, that is what the early church dedicated itself to. Gathering together, devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. In other words, the gospel of Jesus. And I want you to notice something here. It wasn't just, well, church is at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and that's all we're going to do. Nope. Some of the later verses, you heard me read it just a minute ago, they continually and daily did this. Because nothing was more important than gathering with brothers and sisters around the word. So, that really begs us to ask a few questions, doesn't it? And I know you're probably going to be uncomfortable because I was this week, and I didn't like the answers I came up with, but I can't help but think, are we as devoted as they were? Do we make gathering together around the word, whether we're talking corporately at church or in our homes or with each other outside of church settings like Sunday mornings, are we as devoted and dedicated as they are? 
and they were. Is it of first importance to us? I don't know how you would answer that question, but I don't like the answers that I came up with in my own personal life as the Spirit forced me to ask those same questions. You know what I think about? I, I, I think about the times that I made sure that I was able to watch my favorite show on Netflix, but I didn't have that same kind of tenacity and dedication to make sure that I did a Bible reading or devotion that day. I think about the times that maybe, you know, I had to get something done at the house, and that took precedence over getting something more important done at a kitchen table with my wife and kids in an open scripture. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that, that you struggle, at least somewhat like me. You're not a whole lot different than me. And I think about the times that we're more focused on ourselves and what we want and what we like and what we think and what we think's best that, that often we get blinders on and, and we don't always see the needs of our brothers and sisters and, and how important it is to gather around the word with them. I think about maybe some of us who say, well, you know, Pastor, I don't need to go to church all the time and I don't need to read the Bible every day because I know the basics, I know the stories but you know who's in the corner going like this? <laughs> it's that roaring lion looking ready to pounce on you called the devil. Or I think about the times that, that even when we're here, we're not always here, right? That maybe I'm up front and I know I got to check the box because you pay me to be your pastor, so I better be here, but my mind and my heart are not in the right place. Or maybe the times that, that you're sitting here today or, or you're on your couch or, or at the kitchen table watching online and, and you've tuned out already, you're thinking about what you're doing for lunch, what's going on this afternoon, your busy week because we all got one coming up and, and how that's going to play out. Or maybe when you're even here, you're not always here because you're too engaged in getting into your little huddles with your favorite people and, and talking about the latest news story or, or what you think church should be doing or, or how the pastor maybe preaches too long or the music wasn't to your liking instead of just coming and receiving what God wants to give you rest. I don't know about you, but I struggle with this all the time. And that's why we need each other. I don't know how you feel about it, but I need you. Every person here today, I need you. And you need me, and we need each other, whether we want to admit that or not. Because life gets hard, life gets tough, we easily get distracted. And so God says, I'm going to give you me and my word, but I'm going to also give you each other so you can remind each other of those truths. And so God calls us to live life together as we gather around his word. Because when we do that, what can we do for each other? We can remind each other of God's love and his mercy and his presence. We can remind each other that God, even when we have failed him, he continues to invite us to come to him and receive only what he can give. 
We can encourage one another. We can remind each other that the church, church is just not, not just a place for you to show up for an hour or two a week. You punch your card and go home. If that's what you think, you don't know the Bible. <laughs> the church is a body of believers to love and encourage one another and to point each other to Jesus. To point each other to what Isaiah says in, in verse 1 of his word this morning that we read. Right, Come, your God says to you, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. That's your God's invitation to you. That's Jesus' invitation to you. And he's not just saying, come and I'm going to give you, give you some really good wine and a ribeye and a T-bone, although he gives us all those amazing blessings too in this life. He's talking about the spiritual blessings that only he can give. And we have no money. We have no way to buy them. And he says, it's okay. I purchased them for you. So come. Come to me. And you know who he says that to? He says that to you if you are a man or a woman. He says to those who are young and old, if you're black and white, he says, come. He says to those who are doubters, to those who struggle with anxiety, to those who have depression issues, to those who feel all alone, he says, come. To those who have sinned and made a mess out of their lives, he says, come. To those who feel like you can't catch a break, he says, I got one for you, come. To lifelong church people who oftentimes we feel like maybe we got it figured out. He says, no, but I do, so come. And to those of you who maybe haven't stepped foot in a church in a long time, or this is your first time listening online, he says, come, it's okay. You're invited. Come to me, Jesus says. No one's left out. No one's excluded. He says, come, I want you to live life together, gather together around my word, and come and receive what only I can give you, forgiveness in life. You know, when we do that, some pretty cool things happen. Because here's part, here's part of our struggle, right? We often get lulled into thinking and believing that we can do Christianity on our own. And, and, and if you thought that way, you're in good company. I have too. But God says you can't. Right? We get lulled into thinking that, that our, our faith is personal and it's just about me, myself, and I, and I can do it, me and God, and that's it. But that's not how God intended it. And we live in a culture, in a society, we also got our own human instincts too that says, you know, we're independent and it's all about me and my freedom and my desires and what I want. And God says, no, I've created you to be interdependent. And so I'm going to give you each other. Because in doing so, God gives us so many things that he knows we need. And he gives them to us oftentimes through each other. And again, when it does, when we live life together the way God calls us to, some crazy, amazing things happen. Look again with me at verse 42, I believe it is. There it is, verse 42. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. That wasn't the one I was looking for. I'm looking for 40, 43, Diggs. Thank you. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
So you have this group of believers that gathered together. They, they listened to God's word. They saw the outcome and what God did through the proclamation of the gospel, and they were pumped. They were energized. They were encouraged. They were built up in their faith, and they were also built up with one another. Same thing can happen today. Same thing still does happen today. Right, right. I'm going to speak for a minute personally, right? Because from a pastor's perspective, but I hope we're all kind of on the same page here. When I look out like today and see a pretty full church and see so many faces, hear so many voices singing, that is so encouraging. I don't know what it does for you, but as a preacher, when I look out and see that, I get pumped. When I, when I go after service and see how many people chimed in online and watched, I get excited that that many people were gathered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, but that also means the flip side is true, too. When, when there's an empty chair and I don't see you, that's discouraging. When I don't see you or, or hear from you or, or, or get a response from a text or an email that I send to you, that's, that's sad, to be honest. Because I want you to do life with me so that we can share Jesus with each other because that builds us up and energizes us, right? You, you see some of the pictures here, right? When you see God's people doing work together for the sake of the kingdom, that is awesome. When you see little ones, young or old, being washed in the waters of baptism, that is powerful. When young people or older folks stand up front and confess their faith in Jesus Christ, that, wow, those are the Sundays that I don't think it gets any better than that. When we see the power of God at work, it's awe-inspiring, and it builds us up in our faith, and it builds us up in our relationship with one another. Something else happens, too. We hear about it in verse 47. He says that they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you know what led people in the early Christian church to that group more than anything else? I'll give you a hint. It was not a building. As beautiful as this one is that God has given to us, it wasn't a building. Some people say if you build it, they'll come. The Bible doesn't talk like that. Never. The early Christians had way better outreach sometimes than us. They didn't even have a building to go to. It wasn't the buildings that drew people in. It wasn't the music either. We got some great musicians, great worship coordinator, tech team that does a great job to put out a great product on a Sunday morning for y'all and works really hard for it and they're amazing and awesome we're thankful but guess what that's not what drew people in and sermons whether the pastor gives a good sermon or not that wasn't drawing people in or keeping them away you know what it was it was when people saw their love for God and their love for each other and you want to know why that drew people in? Because that was countercultural. That kind of living was radical. It was crazy. Nobody lived like that. 
Right? When people saw this young group of, of Christians, and I don't necessarily mean by age, but right by, by early Christian church, right? They looked at them and they said, wow. They gather regularly. They're not, just, they're not just hanging out once in a while. They're getting together all the time. They're sharing. They see someone in need. They're helping. They're not saying, hey, good luck, man. Hey, it stinks for, to be you. Thoughts and prayers, but, but I don't have any way to help. No, they helped, even if it meant selling something. They heard these young Christians go into the public sector and talk about their faith and the reason for the hope that they have and even love and pray for those who said, we hate you and you need to be quiet. They still loved them. What? It was radical. It was countercultural. And there were so many people that said, I want what they have. I want to be loved like that. I want to be forgiven like that. I want to know the power of Christ like that. And that's what drew them in the love of God and the love of God's people loving and serving them. <laughs> Same is true today. If we live life together the way the early Christians did, the way God has called us to, people are going to notice. Because it's not how the world lives. It's not how the world operates. Right? When they see you gathering, that makes a statement. When they see you doing things that are more than just for an hour or two on a Sunday, but you're living your faith daily, that makes a powerful statement. When they see you actually caring and loving people, and not just the people that care and love you back, but even people that might hate you, your enemies, as Jesus said to love, that is a huge, powerful statement. So I wonder, what if? <laughs> a pastor can dream, can he, right? Well, I don't think it's just a dream, though, friends. What if? What if we actually live like this? And stop making our excuses of why we can't and all the reasons, right, because we're too busy. God says shenanigans. Come on. <laughs> what if we lived the way God has called us to live? What if our relationships went deeper than just a few platitudes and a high five and a good morning on Sunday, but that's it? What if it went so much deeper and I'm not saying you're going to be BFFs with everybody here. There's too many people here to do that with. Just like I, I need the elders. I need the council. I need you guys to help me because one guy serving 70, 80, we got over 100 people on our membership list. That's impossible. But you can find one or two people, one or two families, right? What if we did that? What if we, we gathered and we didn't just run out of here? Because I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't know what's going on this afternoon for you, but I guarantee it's nothing more important than what's happening here. Unless you're going to tell somebody about Jesus, unless you're going to talk about eternity, there's nothing more important than what's going on right now in the Bible class after and the Sunday school after. Because nothing else will, will help you for all eternity. So what if? Dream with me for a moment. What if we actually did this, guys? What if we actually didn't wait for somebody to ask us? What if we, we noticed the empty chair and we just reached out to him? Just said, hey, love you, bro. Love you, sis. Can I help? Are you okay? What if we all did that? I know what would happen. I think you do too. Because God tells us. So many more people would know about the love of Jesus. So many would, more people would know they are not alone, that they have brothers and sisters in the fight with them because we all need 
our brothers and sisters in the trenches fighting. That's why God gives us to each other, because Satan wants us alone. God says, no, don't do it alone. Right? What if we actually live life together like the Bible talks about? What, what would happen? More people would know Jesus. We'd have more peace, more harmony. There'd be less suspicion, less fighting, less divisions in our church, in our homes, in our communities. If we actually took God's word seriously and did what he calls us to do and received all the promises he says he will give us if we live this way. See, that's the crazy thing about the Bible. Whether we're talking about this issue or any other issues, God says, if you live the way I call you to live, I'm going to bless you way more than you'll ever know what to do with the blessings. And even on the days where it's a struggle, I'm still going to bless you because you're going to have my presence, you're going to have my love, you're going to have my forgiveness, and you're going to have the gift of eternal life. No matter what you face, trust me. What if? What if we lived like that and had more peace, more joy, more hope, less guilt, less shame, less loneliness, less isolation, but joy and peace and confidence in Jesus? And we got to remind each other of that daily. It would make an impact. I guarantee it, but don't take my word for it. Take your Savior's who says he'll add to our numbers daily of those who are being saved. That's pretty cool. This past week, I read an article that talked about the mental health of people in our nation. And, and in every category that they talked about and, and that they did the research on, from single moms to teens to married couples to, to retirees, I don't care what it was, almost every one of them, the mental health plummeted. <laughs> We're not shocked, right? 2020 was a rough year. But do you know that there was one category that did not? It actually went up. It was those who bear the name of Christ and who gathered together with each other around the word of God. I'm not shocked at those statistics at all, and neither should you be. So here's my, my, my encouragement to you. If you're here in person, keep coming. Even when you don't feel like it, I, there's days the pastor doesn't feel like coming. That's understandable, but even when you don't feel like it, come. Because I need you, and you need me, and we need Christ. So please come. If you're watching online, a lot of you, you don't live anywhere near Jacksonville, but keep coming online. And if you are close, come and join us. So that we can grow together and go together in love and service to others. Please. That's the way God calls us to live. And then to all of us, invite, share, text, email. Uh, our social media platform gives you it free of charge. You just hit share, and you can share Jesus that way. Pretty easy. Call up. Reach out to that family member, to that friend, to that person who maybe is feeling isolated and alone, who needs Jesus, and Jesus is going to shine through you. Don't keep what you know to yourself. Let others know too so that they can live life together with us around the word the way God intends us to do it. I'm going to pray for you this week that you do it, and I need you to pray for me too. May God help us. Amen.